This show has explicit language and probably has mature themes. Hey, John, did you give us that intro lick? Explanations. I'm Dexter Sorensen. I looked some stuff up on Wikipedia, watched some YouTube about it, got on Cora, and I'm going to explain it to my friend David Gerondale, or all of them. Hey, David. Hey. What are we going to learn about? We're going to do distinctions between things five. Distinct five? We're already yeah, on five? Five. Four was the all of us. I, yeah, actually, I, if I'm right, I think this will be episode 76. Okay. So yeah, we have been doing this for a minute. You want to get into it, the distinctions? Yeah, let's distinct some things. <laughs> First one is libel versus slander. I actually, I yeah, I've really wondered about that. Mm-hmm. Well, they're both forms of defamation. So okay. we'll start with defamation. Wikipedia says, defamation is the oral or written communication of a false statement about another that unjustly harms their reputation and usually constitutes a tort or a crime. And then this got me a little bit further. I was kind of never really knew exactly what a tort is. So I got another Wikipedia quote about a tort. Okay. A tort in common law jurisdictions is a civil wrong that causes a claimant to suffer loss or harm, resulting in legal liability for the person who commits the tortious act. (laughs) Torches. It can include the intentional affliction of emotional distress, negligence, financial losses, injuries, invasion of privacy, and many other things. Okay. So that's funny because I always I know what a retort is, but I never knew so that yeah, there was a tort. That's a tort. Oh, that's interesting. A retort is like an argument against a tort. Yeah, yeah. Like, like somebody a, torts you and then you retort. Yeah. Well, you, you're a but. <laughs> okay, so... This is where we get to libel. Okay. So libel is defined as defamation by written or printed words, pictures, or in any form other than by spoken words or gestures. Okay, so that's why you hear it applied to the media. Mm. Yeah, so it's like just written. As long as you're not speaking it or gesturing it, it's libel. I see. And then slander is the other other car- part of defamation. Okay. So it covers spoken words or gestures. I see. Interesting that there's any distinction in the law. Interesting. Wikipedia does say this. They do say libel and slander both require publication. Wait, what? <laughs> okay, so so you yeah. can't just like say it to your friends. No, it yeah. has to be published somewhere. The fundamental distinction between libel and slander lies solely in the form in which the defamatory matter is published. If the offending material is published in some fleeting form, as by spoken words or sounds, sign language, gestures, or the like, then it's slander. So if you're quoting, I wonder quoting, if that's considered less, uh, less a less offensive crime than yeah, libel. It seems like it. So if you say something and then you're you're quoted, you're quoted in writing, does that can, make it libel? No, that would be slander. That's still slander. Okay, that's still okay. slander. But yeah. then if you write like an op-ed, if you write an op-ed in your own words that is defamatory to the point where it's causing some sort of harm, gotcha, to the claimant, then you're <laughs> libel for libel. Liable for liable. Okay. Liable for liable. Liable, thank you. Liable for liable. Um, I do hear Shit. some people say, like, drop the syllable, liable. though, and they're like, yeah. liable. You're liable to be wrecked. <laughs> You're liable to be wrecked right now, motherfucker. <laughs> um, next, we got omniscient versus omnipotent. Okay, omniscient versus omnipotent. Yeah. Or. <laughs> it's omnipotent. I know. They're both, they're both the way you said it. Anyway, omniscient go what yeah you want me to tell you what it is yeah okay um omniscience if i understand it correctly or omniscience is um all knowing yep essentially it's it's the it's a knowledge of everything yep whereas omnipotent is being all powerful all powerful but i have a question for you (laughs) if you are omnipotent could you cook a burrito so hot that even you can eat it hmm that's like an unstoppable force versus an immovable object. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
Or I, don't, it's like, I don't know. It's like the best version of could God make a rock so big that he can lift it? Yeah. I guess I haven't actually heard that. Yeah. But I mean, I, no, is my answer. No. No. Like if God can make the universe, then everything in it plays by his rules. Sorry. If Okay. Let's this, this, uh, God this hypothetical God that we're creating for the purposes of this conversation it, if it created the universe, then it created all of the laws of the universe and could it manipulate them. Yeah. I would assume. Obviously. I wouldn't create a program or a game that I couldn't access. And I mean, if we're going by like old Christian or Hebrew texts, you know. But in either God way. God does access this. Even if you couldn't, even if you couldn't cook the burrito or if you couldn't eat the burrito you did cook, then you wouldn't be omnipotent. Yeah, exactly. So obviously you can't. It it breaks it breaks the it, it's a paradox in a way but it not sounds like really. a paradox it yeah. breaks the first rule yeah. the omnipotence <laughs> all right so next we got asteroids versus comets versus meteors ooh, ooh yeah I like this one and let's do meteors versus meteoroids and meteorites yeah we're okay. we're gonna do meteors last actually I just have some stuff written up for comets asteroids and meteorites meteoroids. okay meteoroids meteorites well yeah meteoroids would yeah. be the most common form of that object. So we'll start with comets. So a comet is an icy, small solar system body that, when it passes close to the sun, warms and begins to release gases, which is, that's a process called outgassing. Yeah, that's what gives them their tail. Mm-hmm. And uh, also their visible coma. Yes, like the aura they have. Yep. And uh, the visible coma and tail, like we said, they're due to the effects of solar radiation and the solar wind on the comet's nucleus. Sure. It's ablating material off of, off of the comet. It's being rammed by plasma, essentially, yeah. and the, the plasma is evaporating ice into gas. And so sometimes the comet nuclei can range from a few hundred meters or tens of kilometers across. Oh, wow. So it can get from pretty small to, like, you know, the size of a big city. Yeah. Um, And they're usually composed of loose collections of ice, dust, and small rocky particles. Yeah, they're they're rubble. A big mistake when thinking about asteroids and comets and stuff like that is thinking they're really solid. A lot of times they're just collections of rubble that's loosely held together. But the coma, the part directly around the nucleus, can be up to 15 times Earth's diameter. Whoa. And the tail keeping can, in mind that it's a it's a body of expanded gas. Yeah, but yeah, and the tail can stretch a whole astro- astronomical unit. Woo, that's long. That's considering long. that we are only f- eight astronomical units away from, or no, sorry, we are one astronomical unit away from the sun, <laughs> which is eight minutes. Sorry, eight light <laughs> Thank minutes. You, yeah. That's what I was confused um, me for a moment. And so, if it's sufficiently bright, a comet can be seen from Earth without the aid of a telescope. And it can, some of the comets seen from Earth visibly can subtend an arc of 30 degrees. Which okay, is like wow. 50 moons. Because the moon is like a fifth, uh, five degrees. Okay. So like, and the way to think about that is if you, good math, generally, yeah. if you outstretch your hand and like look at your thumb with your thumb up, from an outstretched hand, right? That's generally around five degrees. Okay. So that's how much space in the like axis of Earth, or like your visual visual field, rather. Sure. That's how the, much space the, in your visual field it takes up. Yeah, the the fake dome that we make around the Earth that represents the sky. So yeah, that's actually a lot for the tail of a comet. And we're gonna get to ha- Halley's comet, but what was the one? That I would have seen when I was young in the 90s. Because there was a comet that stayed mm. in the sky for like three or four days. It was I very visible. And I don't know. Did you see it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember just very strong memory of seeing a comet two or three days in a row. Um, and it was bright enough that you could see it at like twilight. Yeah. As soon as the sun started to dip down, you could see it. Interesting. Because it probably wouldn't have been Halley's because Halley's was 86. Nope. So yeah, it wouldn't three have been years that. before we were born. I don't know, Shoemaker Levy, I don't know. Huh. Um, so yeah, comets, they usually got those highly eccentric, or eccentric? Eccentric, no, you're right, eccentric. You. Yeah, just like the characteristic of people. Yeah, they got those highly eccentric elliptical orbits. Mm-hmm. 
Meaning that it's like it's like a, an oval stretched out from pointy end to pointy end yeah. until it's like a, a really the, distended oval. And the Earth isn't like isn't actually in the center. Oh no! Yeah, yeah. Like they they basically they go out like sometimes you know twice as far out as Pluto and then yeah. come back in. Takes and, them years and years. Yeah, and their orbits can range from like several years to potentially several millions of years. Millions. Yeah. Didn't realize that. I, I definitely had heard of ones that took tens of thousands of years. Millions. Wow. Yeah, and they actually, like, the period, like, short period and long period comets actually come from different places, generally, in the solar system. Yeah, this actually, if we ever get into an episode about Planet Nine, because it's not yeah. Planet X anymore, people, because Pluto got demoted. It is now Planet, planet Nine. nine. Yeah. X stood for ten. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, if we ever talk about Planet Nine the comets and where they come from and where they're yeah. situated. We'll give a little teaser right here. Okay. That, that for you. Yeah. That I, definitely that you know more about is a lot of evidence pointing towards a planet nine. Something but big out there. long period comets are thought to originate in the Oort cloud, which is a spherical cloud of icy bodies extending from the, from outside the Kuiper belt to halfway to the nearest star. Yeah. It's semi theoretical. Yeah. It hasn't been directly observed. And so, yeah, the they're, but like the comets there are set in motion towards the sun from the cloud by gravitational perturbations, and caught. They're also caused by passing near stars, right? They sure. Just cause like what's called a galactic tide. Okay. And it's kind of interesting. Oh yeah, we see all sorts of weird things happen when stars pass closer to other stars. It's yep. it. It's interesting, and it has the potential to destroy an entire solar system just passing by a close neighbor. Yeah. Yeah, it's kind of nuts. Yeah. Um, then, like, super hyperbolic comets, they can actually just, like, pass only once through the solar system and then be flung into interstellar space. Right. So having a hyperbolic orbit means exactly that, that it's not a closed loop, that it's... Um, well, that it's basically like a, a, a right... Oh, it's, it's an angle, and you come in and boop! That's what yeah. Oumuamua did, that, uh, the first interstellar tra traveler that we ever observed. It was a, an asteroid, we think, because it had no tail or aura, yeah. um, from outside of the solar system because it had a hyperbolic orbit with the sun. And huh. we only saw it as it was leaving the solar system. Really? We didn't even notice it approaching. Huh, that's kind of cool. Um, so as of <laughs> July 19th, there were 6,619 known comets. And that's a number that's steadily increasing. Oh, sure. Because they're being I'm discovered sure there are millions so rapidly. And millions of them, actually. Yep. And that's what Wikipedia says. They say this represents only a tiny fraction of the total potential comet population. As the reservoir of comet like bodies in the outer solar system, parentheses in the Oort cloud, is estimated to be one trillion. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So there's just tons and tons of shit up there. Obviously, we're going to have more comets than what we've seen. Especially since able to it's to kind observe. of unusual that they're headed into the inner solar system in the first place. And so something is displacing them. Like yeah. you said, gravitational perturbation. Yeah. If a large, cold gas giant, or maybe just a tiny black hole, or anything like that that's re relatively massive but hard to see, were out there in the outer solar system, it would account for... A lot of this. Yeah. And in fact, based on where we see comets coming from and where they're grouped, we would even roughly know what its orbit was. Oh, like, yeah. We already have a lot of computer models that state what Planet Nine's orbit should be. And we're looking for it hard. Mm -hmm. It's not easy to find. Nah, it'll be cool when we find it. Yeah. Um, so we will. It's out I there. I think we will. I believe in it. it. It just it's the only thing it's the only thing that makes all of the other puzzle pieces fit in the outer solar system. And a lot of the times when you're doing discoveries or looking for discoveries in science, that's what you're looking for is the thing that makes the, your picture work. Yep. Yeah, exactly. You have, especially nowadays that we have computer models, we can look and say, well, we know what physics does. We know what these bodies do. It only makes sense if this is what's going on. Yeah. This is the missing puzzle piece. Um, so for comets, particularly bright comets are called great comets. Okay. And that brings us back to Halley's Comet. Okay. Um, got a little thing about it. Halley's Comet, or Comet Halley. I like Halley's Comet. Yeah, Comet Halley. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's just Doesn't, not what I grew up with. Nope. It's a short period comet visible from the Earth every 75 to 76 years. Okay. 
And so it's the only known short period comet that is regularly visible to the naked human eye from Earth and the only naked eye comet that might appear twice in a human lifetime. Sure, yeah. And like we were saying, the last time it was in the solar system was 86. Okay, so we'll definitely see it. We'll see it appear in the mid in mid 2061. Okay. Mid 2061. I plan to live that long. At yeah, least. but I don't plan probably. I mean, I want to obviously, but I might not live 75 years after that. Yeah, I definitely want to. You know that Isaac Arthur firmly believes that the um the first people to to live over 1,000 years have already been born. Really? Yeah. I take that I, that word yeah. guy's word means a lot to me. Yeah. I know he's a techno optimist, but at the same time, he's a realist. Yeah. And watch his YouTube channel. We are always plugging it. Really? Definitely watch it. Isaac Arthur. So also, Halley's returns to the inner solar system have been observed and recorded by astronomers since at least 240 BC. The Chinese, huh? Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say, the only people who I really know who are doing like astro- keeping astronomical records at that time were the Chinese. That's what it says. Clear records of the comet's appearances were made by Chinese Babylonian and medieval European chroniclers. But at those times, they weren't recognized as reappearances of the same object. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the comet's periodicity was first determined in 1705 by English astronomer Edmund Halley. Wow. And that's why that's... it's named. That's why it's named. Okay. That took... 1705. I mean, I get it. That's still a long time. But that took a while to for people to figure out, huh? The, yeah, the like the seventy five years, like almost. A, I mean, actually, I back mean, people then, back then still lived seventy five years. The reason could we have, have the reason like, we have such a low um, infant mortality is infant mortality. Yeah, if you made it to the age of twenty five, you were nearly as likely to make it to sixty as we are today. Yeah. All right, so now we got asteroids. So asteroids are called minor planets, and they're especially in the inner solar system. And larger asteroids have also been called planetoids. And these terms have historically been applied to any astronomical object orbiting the sun that did not resolve into a disk in a telescope and was, wasn't observed to have characteristics of an active comet, such as a tail. Hmm. But... When minor planets in the outer solar system were discovered, they were found to have surfaces similar to comets. They became distinguished from the objects found in the main asteroid belt. So the term asteroid refers to the minor planets of the inner solar system, including those that are co-orbital with Jupiter. Okay, it's Trojans. Yeah, that's what Trojans are. Right. Um, which are just, uh, sorry, which are usually just asteroids that follow in your orbit, but either behind or ahead of you. Yeah. Yeah, there are millions of asteroids, and many are shattered remnants of planetesimals, which were bodies in the sun's solar nebula that never grew large enough to become planets. Oh, sure. Like, when the accretion disks, when the planetary accretion disks Everything is start, all crashing together. Everything is all crashing together. And some of those areas of the disk form into big bodies like Mars, Venus, Earth. Yeah. And then some of them, because of just random events, don't end up doing that. Or not enough mass. When you think about... And they're still out there. There's but, yeah. millions, if not billions, of asteroids in the inner asteroid belt. But, that being said, they still don't make up enough mass to even come close to our moon. Like, it's, it's not a lot of mass compared to the planets that exist in the inner solar system. Yeah, exactly. And the vast majority of them that are known are within the main asteroid belt, located between Mars and Jupiter, or they're co-orbital with Jupiter, like we are talking about. Sure, okay. The Trojans, Jupiter's the Trojans. Trojans. Yeah. We have Trojans, too, actually. They're Do just we? much smaller, because we're okay. much smaller yeah. than Jupiter. Yep. Um, but there are other orbital families... With significant populations, including, like you're saying, the near-Earth orbits okay. objects. Individual asteroids are classified by their characteristic spectra, with the majority falling into three groups. Okay. So there's C-type, which are carbon-rich asteroids. Then there's M-type, which are metallic-rich asteroids. And then there's S-type, which are silica or stony in composition. Okay, yep. 
So obviously some of those, like if we're talking about industry, some of those are going to have a lot more value than others. And it will obviously depend on the application too. Mm. Like what you need those materials for. Exactly what you need them for. If you're going to, maybe if you're going to do like, you know, some organic chemistry up in space, instead of launching organic chemicals up on a rocket, you just harvest a carbonaceous uh, asteroid um, and synthesize them up there. I mean, but if you're trying to build a space station, you really only want, you know, metallic asteroids, which yeah. I believe are the rarest. Yeah. Uh, Ceres is said to be the largest of the asteroids. Sure, it's even spherical. Yeah, and it's about 600 miles across. Woo-wee. Yeah, that's pretty, that's fucking pretty big. decent. It'd be kind of fun to live on it if you could, if you could terraform Ceres. That'd be fun to live on. I don't know if you could quite terraform it but there's this thing called para terraforming like building domes and putting oh yeah uh, putting atmosphere and stuff in the dome kind of like and... the little rick and morty um planet that they live on that's just like super small oh yeah yeah you yeah just, like throw a <laughs> throw a frisbee to yourself yep and it gets all yeah that'd be fun. The, at the end of season two yeah that would be fun except for in that situation yeah anyway <laughs> So asteroids are somewhat arbitrarily differentiated from comets and meteoroids. Um, In the cases of comets, the difference is one of composition. So asteroids are mainly composed of mineral and rock, and comets are primarily composed of dust and ice. Okay, what's interesting is I'm not sure whether we know for sure, but based on spectrum analysis, I'm pretty sure Ceres, despite being an asteroid, is... Uh, more largely composed of ice underneath all of that rock. Yeah, I think I've heard that too. Um, also, asteroids generally formed closer to the sun, which prevented the development of cometary ice. Oh, that so makes sense. So it's something like Ceres that could still make sense. Right, because it's protected, it protected under a layer of yeah. rock. It can't evaporate. And the difference between asteroids and meteoroids is mainly one of size. Yep, Okay. Meteoroids have diameters of one meter or less, where asteroids have a diameter of greater than a meter. Right. Meteoroids come down to Earth all the time. Yeah. Uh, asteroids killed the dinosaurs, maybe and then, with other factors. And then, yeah, also the thing is meteoroids can be composed of either cometary or asteroidal materials. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I think uh, sometimes when... I, if I'm not mistaken, sometimes when comets pass close by, we get um, meteor showers. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about that. Uh, now we got meteors. And meteoroids are significantly smaller than asteroids and range in size from small grains to one meter wide. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. those tiny little space bullets, those are meteors. Yeah. Or meteoroids, sorry. Objects smaller than that are classified as micrometeoroids or space dust. No okay. one grain, which actually falls down to Earth without any fanfall all the time. In yeah. fact, if you walk around outside, you're getting micrometeoroids in your hair. No joke. Yeah. Uh, most meteors are fragments from comets or asteroids, but some are collision impact debris from ejected shit like the moon or Mars. Oh, sure. Yeah. That's how we get Mars rocks and moon rocks yeah. here on Earth, which is fucking without cool. going and grabbing them. They just land here. <laughs> they sometimes. just land here. Just every now and then, that explosion is still coming and landing. Yeah, right? Oh, yeah, the explosion could have happened millions and millions of years ago. And now, just by happenstance, the little rock that's been orbiting the sun for who knows how long happened to land on Earth. Yeah, it's kind of a cool idea. It is. Oh, I like it. When a meteoroid comet or asteroid enters Earth's atmosphere, at a speed, it enters at a speed typically in excess of 45,000 miles per hour. And so aerodynamic heating of that object produces a streak of light, both from the glowing object and the trail of glowing particles that leaves, it leaves behind in its wake. Right. It's like combusting the air in front of it. Yeah. It's actually creating plasma. And that's, that phenomenon is called a meteor or a shooting star. Right. So just to be clear, the meteor is not the object creating the light. It is the light show itself. Yeah. So when you see a meteor shower, the lights are what the meteor is. Yeah. And then, so a series of shooting stars is a series of mini meteors appearing in seconds or minutes apart that appear to originate from the same fixed point in the sky, and that's a meteor shower. Okay. Um, if that object withstands ablation, which we talked about in an earlier episode, 
from its passage through the atmosphere as a meteor impacts with the ground, it's then called a meteorite. Right. So if it's out in space, it's a meteoroid. When it's passing through the atmosphere and you see that bright light, it's the bright light is a meteor. And then when it hits the ground, it is now a meteorite. meteorite. Yeah. I like it. It's fun. Also, it makes sense, too, because like um, minerals found here on Earth are often given the ite um, yeah. suffix. I don't know what that means, but I just Me like either. the continuity that it's now a like, mineral of Earth once it's hit here. It definitely is geology rated because you even got stalag. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Ites show up all the time. Yeah. So an estimated 25 million meteoroids, micrometeoroids, and other space debris enter Earth's atmosphere each day which results in an estimated 15,000 tons of material entering the atmosphere each year. So we get 15,000 tons of material from space every year. Every the Earth year. is still growing. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I mean, if you hear, I don't know what the numbers are, but we also lose like literal tons of our atmosphere to space every year, yeah. which makes we people afraid at back. first until then they get the picture of like how many tons of atmosphere we have. <laughs> yeah. And that is going to take like, eight billion years before there's a noticeable difference <laughs> all right so that's asteroids comets meteors yeah let's talk about farther versus further we did this one did we do this one yeah we did this one i did it you did it yes oh so farther is in physical distances yeah so we must have done it in the last one four we did it at some point yeah well the only one you brought oh no it could have been that at the end it could have been at the end of, I think it was at three, not four, actually. All right, go ahead. Just redo it real quick. If I remember it properly, but okay, I'll do my best, and then you you fill in the gaps. Sure. Okay, so further, um, no, let me start with farther. Yeah, start with farther. Farther applies only to literal measurable distances. So mm. I will go no inch farther, as in like, I will not move another inch in that direction. Further, on the other hand, applies to more ephemeral notions like, um, I, I can't like go any figurative. further. It's figurative, yes. Uh, uh, it, it, I won't go any further could mean any number of things regarding to like a, a psycho or a, a, an idealistic position or um, like you could say nothing. You would say nothing could be further from the truth. Right. You wouldn't say farther from because the truth. Because that's not a we're literal not, distance. Yeah, we're not measuring literal distance here. It's a figurative distance. But Thank you. if you're wondering how how far it is to the gas station, you would say how much farther to the gas station. Yeah, you wouldn't say how much further. Though, I mean, anyone I is going to understand you either way. I and would I say that. And I intermix those words. But I never knew, so I looked it up. Yeah, I intermix those words regardless. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, if you know what somebody means, don't be a pedantic prick. No shit. And if you listen to this show, you probably aren't because you wouldn't have understood anything I ever said. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably not very pedantic (laughs) if you listen to this show. (laughs) We don't get corrections every single episode, which we should if we we had a pedantic audience. (laughs) Uh, But we do like corrections. It's fun to read them. And you're not pedantic for giving us a correction. (laughs) Just to be clear. Exactly. Let's go to fur versus hair. So fur is actually just a type of hair. They're yeah, not, that makes sense. They're me. not really that distinct. I mean, they're not different physical structures. Yeah. Uh, they're made of the same stuff. But a bunch of people on Cora mentioned that fur grows to a certain point, then stops, but yep. hair continues to grow. In a sense, yes. In a sense, yeah. I mean, but we have hair on our arms, for example, yep. that doesn't grow past a certain length. Well, the hair on your head doesn't grow past a certain length either. It's just that you oh, never like let it grow years. that long. Yeah. Because what happens is on your head, as with everywhere else, your um, hair follicles go through an active state and a dormant state. And they are on a timer, essentially. And so they will only grow, they will only remain in their active state for so long. And once they go into the dormant state, unless you're keeping the hair on your head somehow, like with dreadlocks, like it's bound to the other hairs, Mm -hmm. it will fall out. That's why, like, when you have growth of, like, about seven years, your hair stays the same length. Yep. It doesn't grow longer unless you have dreads, in which yeah. case it can be indefinitely long because the dead hairs remain matted to and entangled with the living hairs, So it can extend outward. Yeah. Um, so there are three types of fur hairs, though. There's down hairs, guard hairs, and on hairs. Oh, sure. I haven't heard of on hairs, but the others, those make sense to me with dogs. Yeah, because most dogs do have the three, actually. 
They have all three? Okay. Most. Um, some of them don't. So the undercoat is called down hair. Sure. It's also called called under fur or ground hair. And that's the bottom or inner layer that's composed of wavy or curly hairs with no straight proportions or sharp points. Okay. And down hairs are also flat. They tend to be the shortest and most numerous in the coat. Yeah, they usually, uh, like for instance, in, in otters, in their down furs actually literally create an air barrier between their skin and the water. That's how they can sit in the freezing ocean without yeah, any cover. Yeah, theirs are much better than any Theirs any is other the thickest an- fur on the planet. Yeah, and the reason for that is the same reason that any animal has down hair. To trap air, right? To trap air. It creates a like, little layer of air. Yeah, you have an insulating coat on now. Mm-hmm. Just like right next to your skin. Yeah, it does. It doesn't dissipate really quickly unless there's a breeze or something to dislodge it, and so it heats up to to something approaching your body temperature, and then just stays by you. And that's what insulation means. It means it's hard to change the temperature in an insulated object. Okay. And so if it's generally heat heated by your body, then it's hard to get that insulated layer to go colder. Right. And water is also like a really well insulated object that's why before like modern chemical shit like those pouches that we have people used to just like warm up water bottles and then carry that around with them okay okay yeah because, because it's specific heat capacity specific makes it difficult capacity. to change its yeah to ch- it takes a lot of energy to change its temperature yep um so guard hairs is the top layer of the coat and they're usually longer coarser and have nearly straight shafts that protrude protrude through the down down layer gotcha right they're they're thicker um Mm. you can feel them they're wiry they're not soft it has more pigmentation and gloss okay yeah so it makes the coat markings that are usually visible for camouflage or display okay because it's what's meant to be seen Mm. and that the point of guard hair is to repel water and block sunlight and it also protects the skin in for the same reasons from wet or aquatic habitats Sure. I mean, it also it helps block dust and dirt a little bit, and even a little bit solar parasites. radiation. Yeah, it, it basically isn't just an extra. It's a guard layer. It can even reduce the severity of cuts or scratches to the skin. Oh, sure. Like watch Tycho play with Suri. She put she goes claws out. Suri's our cat. <laughs> yeah. Tycho's our dog. She goes claws out all the time, and he. I don't think he ever really gets hurt because no. like his guard hairs prevent it actually getting all the way into the skin and digging in. Yep. Yeah, like Lemon gets bought by Ali like six times in a row, and she's just like, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, and then the guard hairs are also the ones that, the like, a lot of mammals, like dogs and cats, they have what's called a pilomotor reflex that raises their guard hairs as they're part of their threat display. Shrike. <laughs> I almost, I tried to say sure and right at the same time. <laughs> Shrike. So, um, yeah, yeah, that, that, raising their hackles in yeah. layman's terms. And that response is still present in us and in goosebumps. Yep. Oh, that's it's the exact same thing. Yep. And uh, even though it doesn't serve this function anymore, because oftentimes I get goosebumps in response to like really emotional stimuli, anything that really yeah. excites me on like a base level, I just get goosebumps. Especially like fear. Um, but I like, don't experience it. I mean, like, I guess I don't. You haven't like, or if you've been like real creeped out, you haven't gotten goosebumps. Not so much. I usually get it in response to like a song that just like gets, gets me, yeah. or like um, something really like kind, uh, of, kind pro- of intensely profound. emotional, but not in a downer sort of way. Like profound. Profound. Yeah, profundity really gets it for me. Um, it, it, sometimes I can just be like excited about something yeah. and I'll be like, dude, look at my arm right now and all of my, I'll have <laughs> goosebumps. Cool. I'm like, that's how excited I am. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's funny that that's literally, it's still its original function was to make us look bigger. Yep. Obviously it doesn't do that anymore. We don't no. have enough fur, but yeah, that's what it's for is to make you look bigger and more imposing. <laughs> yeah. And third type is on hairs and that's like, they're kind of a hybrid between the two. So they're not as long as guard hairs, but halfway through their growth cycle, they thin out like down hair. Oh. So they're kind of like short on the bottom and thicker on the top. Like So they're kind of oh, both, but okay. they're not as long as guard hairs. I see. They um, basically, yeah, they're just a hybrid. They serve both functions at once, just yeah. not as well as either of them. Exactly. Uh, next, we're going to talk about everyday versus everyday. 
one or two words. Oh. So every day, one word refers to regular or commonplace thing or occurrence. Sure. It doesn't necessarily literally mean every day. Yeah. It's just like an everyday thing. Like spending more than an hour on the day in the internet is an everyday thing for most people. Sure. But everyday two words refers to things that literally happen every day. The sun rises every yeah. day. The I work, sun sets every day. I work out every day. I drink every day. <laughs> <laughs> one of the one of one those, of those things is true. Is true. <laughs> I'll let you guys figure out which it is. <laughs> Just kidding. I guess it depends on how broad the definition of workout is. <laughs> you get out of bed. I get out of bed. That's a workout. Hush. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> next we got soft versus hard water. Oh yeah. Okay. So hard water is water that has a high mineral content. Mm -hmm. Wikipedia says hard water is formed when water passes through a deposit of limestone, chalk, or gypsum. And depending on what mineral it is, it feels different on your skin. Yeah. Some of them feel quite literally slimy or soapy. Mm, actually soft water is what is usually considered to feel is that soft slimy. water that feels slimy or soapy yeah I hate it's that weird shit we'll get to it i thought that that was a type of hard water. i always did too okay i hate that stuff i hate water softeners then i hate how slimy <laughs> it feels you feel yeah. like you never get clean yeah we're gonna get to it Ugh. i um, guess coming from a well growing up with a well yeah i was used to hard water yeah. and that's what i liked. I actually thought so too like because yeah like in that such such a small town Obviously, all our water was just like trickle down water from the mountains. Mm -hmm. Runoff, yeah. Yeah. Um, but the CDC says hard water can have some beneficial health effects, but it can actually fuck up equipment that the water passes through. Oh, sure. You have to do lime descaling and yeah, stuff. Yeah, like water coolers, boilers, and pipes. Mm -hmm. um, the United States National Research Council has found that hard water actually serves as a dietary supplement for calcium and magnesium. Oh, wow. Okay. Makes sense. Wait, wait, so you, they're drinking a Oh. You drink your water and it has calcium and magnesium in okay. it. Okay. I was yeah. just thinking of showers for a minute and I was like, well, okay. People are drinking <laughs> a lot of water in their shower. <laughs> With the same water that comes out of your tap. Uh, soft. I, mean, I drink water in the shower sometimes. Oh. I think it's weird. I think every time, pretty <laughs> much. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't sure how many me. people did that. <laughs> I do. It's I just kind of fun. Jonathan do too, but yeah. you know, maybe we're the only three. Let us know. Do you drink water from the tap from the shower? Yeah. Also, I it grosses me out when I go somewhere where I can't drink water from the tap. Oh yeah. It's just kind of weird. Like growing up with a well <laughs> and then now living in the valley where our water's really clean because it comes from the Mackenzie. I've just never grown up somewhere where you can't drink from the tap and it weirds me out. Yeah, a while ago, maybe a year ago, somebody came into work and they were like, and his wife was like, yeah, I'll just get a water, a cup of water. And her husband's like, you're going to drink tap water? And he's like, there's bottled water right here. And I was like, uh, Eugene water is actually pretty good. Yeah, like, Eugene water is <laughs> just fine. It's going to taste better than that bottled water that's been sitting in plastic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly and then he just like looked at me like i shouldn't have said that and i was like all right whatever here's your bottle of water. I'll stay out of your fucking business <laughs> i guess so yeah like we were saying soft water has low mineral content right right on the other hand and the higher the higher mineral content makes soap soap lather up less mm. Mm -hmm. so you wash away the soap faster that's the ticket. Okay. That's the ticket. So you feel so more clean. You, so you are less clean, though? <laughs> You're but you less feel clean. more clean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, damn it. <laughs> no, I'm all right with that. You, I don't need to be that clean. So, yeah, you actually aren't less clean when you use soft water. That slippery feeling associated with soft water is either extra soap that you haven't gotten off or it's your skin being actually more hydrated. <laughs> okay, can I, uh, can I bring something up really quick? Mm -hmm. So I found out that bases are slippery to the touch. Um, I found it oh, out. Oh, yeah. I think you were talking about this. So I was, for work, I was trying to learn how to dissolve plaster of Paris without dissolving plastics. And, because uh, it's kind of important for some of our work, but we don't really, nobody in the lab uh, has come up with a method of doing this or has looked into it. So I found out that plaster of Paris is an acid. It's a solid, but it's an acid. And so I mixed it with baking soda because that's a base. And I tried to mix baking soda into water, and then mm. I put the plaster into the water um, and tried to tried to let it dissolve. And it worked kind of, but baking soda doesn't dissolve in water. 
Yeah. But anyway, the point is, so I'm going to try stronger bases. Um, sodium hydroxide. But anyway, the point is, is that bases um, interact with lipids, which you have in your skin because all of your cell membranes are made up from fatty lipids. Yeah. Um, and what it does is it dissolves them and turns them into soap. So when you get base on your skin, it literally feels like your so skin is soapy and, and slick. But that's because the base is turning your skin into soap. Oh, yeah, literally. Literally, as yeah. you, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's crazy. All right, the next one we got uh, is dissection versus vivisection. Oh, yeah. When you're dead, when you're alive. Mm. <laughs> yeah, dissection is dismembering of the body of a deceased animal or plant to study its anatomical structure. And vivisection is surgery conducted to ex for experimental purposes on a living organism. Yeah, it's pretty fucked. Yep, typically animals with a central nervous system. Yeah. Uh, Wikipedia does say, though, at one point in the vivisection article, human vivisection, such as live organ harvesting, has been perpetrated as a form of torture. However, as vivisection etymologically means a surgery on a living being... All forms of open surgery on living people are literally human vivisection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's but kinda, it, it's it's really it's, a matter of like what your intention is, right? Yeah. yeah. Um. So like right this now, only for sounds instance, gross when you say vivisection because you're not talking about surgery. Yeah. But surgery is vivisection. Yes, but I think we should still make some distinction because when when I say vivisection, I want people to know that I'm talking about something disgusting. Yeah, exactly. Um. And right now in China, that goes on. Holy um, shit. So prisoners for anything from being the wrong religion to being poor um basically prisoners um are being condemned to death at an alarming rate even for china mm. in the past uh, few years and they're all being harvested for organs and then those organs are being sold to wealthier okay. people who can afford them yeah it still sounds like surgery but that's vivisection that's vivisection they're basically yeah. they're 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 putting people under, as in like putting them, you know, giving them enough to, so to lose consciousness, and then they're harvesting the... their organs so that they can give them to middle class and rich people. You're saying we should actually use vivisection to mean torture. Yes. Yeah, I can agree because with I that. think it's a torture of a non-human animal, and I think it's torture of a human. And yep. when we say surgery, what we mean specifically is yes, it is vivisection because you're still alive and you're being cut open. But we mean specifically that people Malicious. are trying to help you. Yeah, surgery like, means surgery, surgery is done means for your benefit. Surgery is benevolent, and we're saying that vivisection is malicious. Yeah, I don't care if you're the perfume industry or you're the medical industry. Vivisection is malicious. If you are mm. vivisecting live animals with the intention of causing them harm to learn something, I, I just think I can, our computer yeah, models get are getting that. pretty good. All right, the last one we got. I agree with that is types of mixtures. Actually, I don't know if it's actually the last one. Might be. Um, <laughs> types of mixtures. So first we'll do the definition of a mixture by Wikipedia. A mixture is a material made up of one or two more different substances which are physically combined. So mixtures come in two forms. They're either homogeneous or heterogeneous. Sure. And the material in homogeneous mixtures are spread uniformly throughout the mixture like salt and water once it's dissolved once yeah it's yeah dissolved. like basically you can't the the way i always thought about it is you can't even with with a very small pair of tweezers now laboriously separate it yeah. if it's hom uh homogeneous and if it's heterogeneous the materials are not spread uniformly like sand and water right you which could also fits your you could laboriously use tweezers and pick the sand out of the water yeah and so let's talk about three types of mixtures Solutions, suspensions, and colloids. Okay. So solutions first. A solution is a special type of homogeneous mixture. In a solution, one substance, the solute, is, is dissolved into another substance, the solvent. Right. So salt water, like you're saying, is a solution. The salt is the solute and the water is the solvent. Okay. And whenever one of the solvents in a mixture is water... It's typed in aqueous solution. Okay. Is it salute or salute? Man, I can't remember. Hey, uh, Janine, will you help us out with this one? <laughs> Hopefully you're still Salute listening. or salute? Or maybe not even Janine. If you know, let us know. 
Yeah, but she's our, not she's, our, she's our chemistry major fan. Exactly. Um, so Aaron is actually an, a, an example of a gaseous solution. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. Because the air is in the atmosphere we breathe. Yeah. Yeah, because oxygen and other gases are dissolved in nitrogen largely. Yep. But Wikipedia does say that since interactions between molecules play almost no role, dilute gases are rather trivial solutions. In part of the lit- literature, they're not even classified as solutions, but addressed as mixtures. Uh, okay, I kind of understand. Just because there's not enough action going on. Right, I understand the, the thinking there. But alcoholic beverages are liquid and liquid solutions. Mm-hmm. Because they're basically solutions of ethanol and water. Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. And then salt and water is an example of a solid and liquid solution. And then alloys like bronze and a bunch of other alloys are solid and solid solutions. Oh, yeah, yeah. I never that thought about that way. I had not thought about that that way either. Mm-hmm. Um, also, I will point out the sodium hydroxide, the base that I intend to acquire, is a solution. Okay, yeah. Well, when mixed in water, is an aqueous solution. Mm-hmm. Whereas the baking soda that I had been using is a suspension. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's true. But we're not even to suspension yet. We'll get there. Suspend it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suspended. Uh, like you're saying, bronze is a solution primarily of copper, and it commonly has about 12 to 12.5% tin. Which just makes it tougher. Yeah. And often it also has the addition of other metals such as aluminum, manganese, nickel, or zinc. Okay. But yeah, it makes it tougher. Mm -hmm. Yeah, bronze, uh, sorry, copper shatters really easily. You can't make swords or spears or anything out of it. But if you mix it with uh, tin, then you have bronze and you can do all sorts of things. Yep. Now we got to suspensions. Okay. Um, I'm on suspended. (laughs) They're a heterogeneous mixture that has solid particles that are large enough for sedimentation. Right. Which is what happened with my. I kept having to agitate the the mixture because mm-hmm. the baking soda kept settling and then the reaction would stop because it wasn't coming into contact with the acid. Yeah. So there was no acid based neutralization. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the particles of a su- suspension are big enough to be seen with the naked eye and they'll eventually settle. Mm-hmm. That's what a sedimentation is, like you're talking about. Right. Um, but it's only actually classified as a suspension when the particles haven't settled out. So while the particles are still falling, okay. that's a suspension. When they've fallen... They've fallen out of suspension. Out of suspension, yeah. So when you shake up a snow globe, you have a suspension. Right. All right, colloids. Yeah. Yeah. Wikipedia says a colloid... Colloid is a mixture in which one substance of microscopically dispersed insoluble or soluble particles is suspended throughout another substance. And a colloid can be considered either homogeneous or a heterogeneous mixture. Okay. But I think most would consider it a homogeneous mixture. All right, I'm still waiting for a... Yeah, well, caveat that's going to make me understand how it's different. So the difference between a colloid and a solution is the particles in a colloid are in different phases. In a solution, they're the same phase. So Wikipedia says, a colloid has a dispersed phase, the suspended far- particles, and a continuous phase, the medium of the suspension, that arise by phase separation. So there's no, dis- like, it doesn't dissolve into it. But the particles are small enough that it's still spread uniformly out, and doesn't fall out of solution or doesn't fall out of suspension. It doesn't have sedimentation, so it's not a suspension because it stays suspended. I see. So this. Okay. So that's what the difference is. So basically, we're talking about particles that are small enough that they follow the laws of Brownian motion. Yeah. Which are that, like, if you put a particle in motion, it will never stop. Exactly. Like, uh, but that's what we're saying. Like, because it won't sedimentate, it's different than a suspension. So here's some example of colloids. An example of a liquid in a gas colloid is fog or clouds. Oh, sure, because it's not, it's not, it's not it's a, a gas water. It's actually liquid, liquid water, water suspended in, in the air. Yep. And it's not, fa- it's not just like all settling to the ground as rain. Yeah. No. An example of solid and gas is smoke. 
Uh, I like these examples. These are making right? it very, uh, uh, like, yeah, consumable. Mm-hmm. Here, I understand here now. Here you go. Here's some more. Whipped cream and some other foams are colloids of gases in liquids. E- gases in liquids. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course they are. Okay. Yeah. Uh, milk. Ooh, aerogel is a colloid then. Milk has two form- two ways you can look at it. Milk is a liquid-liquid colloid where fats are suspended in water. Mm-hmm. But it's also... The protein fraction of it is a solid and liquid colloid. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And without the proteins there, the fat wouldn't stay a colloid. Yeah. It would end up like not even a mixture, actually. And then it would just end up on top. The weirdest one is blood is also a solid and a liquid colloid. Sure. Cells in plasma. Yep. Um, Styrofoam and gas is a solid colloid. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Any puff? Styrofoam is a gas in a solid colloid. Ooh, Rice Krispies. Yeah. Gas in a solid colloid. Yep. And gelatin and jelly are liquids in solid colloids. Right. Or if you do aerogel, which is basically the same thing, except you you, you, um, subject it to vacuum to to evaporate all of the liquid, and what you're left with is, is, well vacuum and then you allow the atmosphere back in and all those vacuum spaces fill up with air and now you have aerogel yep the first aerogel that was also another example of a gas and solid right yep the first aerogel was actually just no different than jello really yep it was just instead of liquid they put air and air into it and they realized that it was basically the best insulator ever invented that's cool yeah and the lightest substance solid substance ever invented by at that point per volume I think it still is because like if you think about Mm. it, it's 99% air. Yeah. And so you can make a massive volume um, with a very low mass. Okay. Uh, You got any other distinctions? Mm, Nope. All right. Uh, Yeah, I don't either, actually. And that's it for this episode. Dexplanations is recorded at Rabbit Pen Studios in Eugene, Oregon. It's produced, edited, and provided them sweet licks by Jonathan Cunningham. Art, logo, and social media by Monet Moran. And, of course, my trusted co-host is David Girondell. I want to thank all our patrons on Patreon. Alexis, Amanda, Ben, Betty, Kevin, Derek, Emily, Hannah, Linda, Nick, Susan, Tanner, Tori, and Trevor. And our one and only tattoo patron ever is Brittany. Thanks, y'all. We really appreciate it, and your support, it really helps the show. If you, too, want to support the show, go to patreon.com slash Dexplanations, tell a friend to listen to your favorite episode, or leave a review on iTunes. All these things help a lot because we're trying to get more exposure for the show, and we really, 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 really appreciate your support. Likely, we got a bunch of things wrong, as always. If you want to tell me about it or just want to bullshit, hit me up at Dexplanationspodcast at gmail.com, tweet me at Dexplanations, or comment on the Instagram. I'll bring it up in a later episode or do a new episode about it. Oh, and as for you, you're great at being you. Keep it up. Like, for real. Keep being you. I like you. Bye now. (laughs)